Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. Today, I am speaking to the Arts Council of Indianapolis. My guest is Shannon Linker. She is the vice president at the Art Council of Indianapolis. Their website indiearts.org. Shannon, thank you so much for joining me, and please tell us a little bit about the Arts Council for those that aren't familiar with it. Sure. Well, thank you, Chris, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and to get to talk to to your audience about the Arts Council and what we do. And um, I think an easy way to, to explain what we do is you can kind of think of the Arts Council as like a chamber of commerce for the arts and culture community. So we support, fund, promote, and advocate for the nonprofit arts organizations, as well as individual artists, and that is all disciplines. So writers and painters and musicians and dancers, everyone that would consider themselves an artist, we're, we're there to support them. Um, we're often doing our work behind the scenes, advocating with the city for funding or with different uh partners around town, but we do have a little bit of a more public uh, front in some of the programs that we have. Uh, for instance, we own and operate the Indianapolis Arts Garden, which is the glass dome building down above Washington and Illinois streets. We also own and operate Gallery 924, which is a contemporary gallery here at our offices on North Pennsylvania downtown as well. I part of my role is we're, is uh, curating that gallery space as well. Uh, we also manage the city's public art. So a lot of the public art projects you see around town, um, the we have billboards and we have murals and we have lots of well, actually lots of projects going on. We can talk about right now um, that are public art around town. Uh, that's our role too. So we. We're out there, we're really visible, but you may not know that it's us behind it, and that's okay. Uh, we're, we're there to support the artists in the arts community, make sure that they have the visibility that they need so our community can have access to the arts in all forms and have uh, equal, uh, equitable access to getting to see performances and getting to see out in the art in the public realm and allowing artists to be able to make a living and support themselves doing what they do best, which is creating art and culture for our community. Yeah, so I've often said that, you know, there's always been, an, I, I'm a millennial, I'm kind of at the beginning of the millennials at 36, and, you know, there's always been discussions over the, the 15 years that I've been following politics and working in media about how do we get millennials engaged? And I've always said, just keep the cost of living low, keep the restaurants good, and give us one of those angel wings that we can pose in front of for selfies like in Nashville. And uh, that seems to be, you know, the concept of public art is something that makes a city attractive to to talent, to businesses. Uh, you know, it, 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 it like the big murals downtown and some of these other new, as, as Indianapolis over the last decade has has. Uh, generated more public art, how much has the Arts Council had to do with some of that? Well, we've been involved in in some way with most of it. Some of them, some of the bigger projects were ours. Some we just supported and helped. I mean, if we don't, if we're not directly 
creating a project, we're a resource. So organizations or individuals or artists that are creating those projects can come to us with help with permits and working with the city and finding engineers to help with all the things that are involved with public art. So, so yeah, we one of the, the big ones is the 46 for 46 murals program that we did for the, the Super Bowl for 46, Super Bowl 46 back in 2012. Those murals are still up. Um, some of them, like the Kurt Vonnegut on Mass Ave, is one that came from that project. And even though that has a lifespan of 10 years, it has become such uh, a, a, an iconic image of Mass Ave people would don't want to let that go. You know, they, they don't want it to be a temporary thing that goes away. So those kind of things that get embedded in the, the culture of the city, that that's, that's really wonderful when that happens. And there, there's several of those. We have a, a project going on right now called Indie Art and Seek, which is 100 artists going around in different neighborhoods, creating small little surprise uh, happenings. So it could be anything as small as maybe there's a brick missing in a wall uh, on a sidewalk and the artist fills that with something interesting and intriguing and beautiful and whimsical. Um, or it could be um, putting signs up in a neighborhood park, um, sharing a message of hope. And we all need that right now, but in an artful, creative way. So, so that is something that's coming online. It's a partnership with Keeping Annapolis Beautiful, funded by the Lilly Endowment. And this fall, I believe in September, we'll have an app for that. So that'll be something that those are, those are small projects, but they're going to be all throughout neighborhoods, connecting a lot of neighborhoods. And so that'll be something fun that people can really engage with on their own and not uh, and in a safe way. So you're not going to be in a big crowd of people. You can go and do it on your own with your family. And the uh, idea of going around and seeing all the, the different ones through the map. A scavenger hunt. Very cool. So obviously COVID-19 has uh, th- thrown a wrench in everybody's plans. I heard recently a stat that uh, state and local governments, uh, that sector of for instance, has lost more jobs than any other sector. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned that you get some funding from the city. Uh, how do you, first off, how has the Arts Council reacted to the pandemic? I imagine the arts community, especially with a lot of it being tied into public financing, has been hard hit. What does that look like? And how has the Arts Council of Indianapolis responded to that? Well, it's really interesting because before this happened, a lot of people, the arts organizations that know us and the artists that know us know what we do and know why we're here and our role and all of that. Um, but a lot of people didn't quite understand what an art service agency is. And that's what we are. We're an art service organization. And so when COVID-19 hit and in mid-March and all the venues, all the orgs shut down, This is when we knew as an art service organization, this is our time to step up and support and do what we do best, which is providing that that backbone, that behind the scenes support. And so what we did initially was started communicating with artists and arts organizations. That was one of the most important things, making sure that we were all connected 
that we were connected to best practices, connected to the current science and what was happening and the recommendations from the CDC and the city and all of that. Um, we were also connected to the city, or I'm sorry, the state, uh, the Indiana Arts Commission. They were uh, highly involved in, in being supportive as well. So one of the first things we did along with the communicating and making sure everybody was on the same page with the latest information was to do some surveys just to see where are the artists, what, where are they, which artists are hurting most and what are their current needs, what can we help with. And um, so after we got that information, we realized that artists, especially musicians and teaching artists, they were completely cut off at the knees immediately when when their their gigs most of them are you know you could have two or three gigs per week and not really a lot pushed out into the calendar it's all within the coming you know a couple of months and so when all of that stopped abruptly those artists were really devastated. And so that community was devastated, the musicians, bands, uh, and the venues as well. So hearing that, what we did was we worked with a group of funders that we work closely with and are supportive of the arts community and were able to come up with the Indie Arts and Culture COVID-19 Emergency Relief Fund. And that eventually with these funders involved and with um, individual donors and with, with a lot of community effort as well, we reached $475,000. And that was not uh, to solve all the problems of these artists, but it was bridge support for them. We provided artists with $500 per month for some of them, depending on when they came into the program, three months of bridge support until the idea was until the support from the from unemployment and the pandemic unemployment was able to kick in. Now, that was that was amazing support for some artists. For others, they didn't really they who aren't necessarily gig artists. That that wasn't really what they needed. What they needed was more of the research on how to how to do what they do in a safe way. And so that's another part of what we were doing as well is researching, again, best practices. How do we restart and recover? How do artists find the safe way um, to make it work, to, to continue to, to do what they do? And so um, that's, been, that's been a really big part of what we've been doing. And we created a new website. It's called IndieKeepsCreating.org. And that's where all the resources are. That's where we highlight and celebrate the organizations and artists that are doing and finding innovative ways to continue to create and continue to share that with the public. Um, and then finally, most recently, we were able to receive a fund or a, a grant from the Lilly Endowment called the Indie Arts and Culture Restart and Resilience Fund, which is a grant program that's for the nonprofit uh, arts organizations. And that is a $10 million fund. Mm. So that was an amazing um, thing that happened that happened because of 
a lot of the research that went into early on figuring out what really are the needs, what kind of money are we talking about here? You know, what are arts organizations really going to need to keep going and to, to not shudder? You know, is it best for them to hibernate? Is it best for them to keep going and keep um, artists employed and, and all of that? So, so this fund, this 10 million really is about offsetting those costs of when you're ready to, to restart, there's a lot involved, of course, obviously with masks of PPE and with extra cleaning and all of the, the safety precautions that are necessary. So that's really about allowing them a little grace for being able to do all of that in, in order to restart and to get, to get going again, whenever that may be. So I I don't think I think people hear Lily Endowment a lot in this town, but I don't think people generally have a concept of how deeply influential and impactful the Lily Endowment is in Indianapolis in so many areas, but specifically the arts, entertainment, the downtown area, for instance, uh, you know. Dick Luger went and met with uh, the the head of Eli Lilly and secured funding for Market Square Arena, which led to the sports strategy that we've enjoyed. Can you give some insight into how impactful Lilly is for the the community at large? Well, I I honestly don't think you can overstate their importance and their impact on the city. Um, you can look to, I mean, their, their main areas are education, religion, and the arts. And in those areas, I mean, we have fellowships, the Creative Renewal Fellowships, which has supported about 400 artists getting a $10,000 relief, or not relief, I'm on relief, um, mm-hmm. a renewal grant. And that's been over the past 20 years. We just celebrated that 20-year anniversary. They funded um, a big part of the Arts Garden being built so that we have this iconic building. They just announced $100 million for the Urban League, which is game-changing, is unbelievable. And the arts, of course, will be a part of the, the, the change and the impact going on with that program because we're a partner with the Urban League as well. But that's about racial justice and the arts have a huge role in that, of course, and they should. Um, education is huge. Um, when you think about any part of the city that hasn't been impacted by the Lilly Endowment, it, it's hard, hard to find any areas that haven't, you know? Um, we often hear from our colleagues around the country that, wow, if we only had a Lilly endowment in our city, you know, it, it, it true, they truly are one of the leaders in the country for supporting arts and culture and just supporting the community. You know, when the pandemic pandemics first started, they were one of the first out of the gate with support for um, social services. And so it is, it's hard to imagine what our community would look like without them, to be totally honest. 
Yeah, and they've they've just been huge contributors. Indianapolis is special in that everybody seems to get along just to to do the right thing, and there's not a lot of partisan squabbling across the board. And you know, many a lot of that is is because of organizations like yours and a lot of the nonprofits we talk to, and they're definitely a big help in that. So you mentioned IndieKeepsCreating.org, which is a link we'll put in the show notes. You can go check that out if you want to see what is going on there. You know, speaking of other you know, Indianapolis used to be known as a corn, uh, as an oval surrounded by cornfields, and uh, that's because the thing that we were known for for so long was the Indianapolis 500. And you know, the the George family now own now sold to Penske, and the Indianapolis 500 is such an important part of Indianapolis. Uh, the pandemic has hit that too. We're looking at uh, the race here in a couple weeks, hopefully, and. Uh, it's going to look a lot different with no fans in the stands and uh, moved month. But you know what? What were what is your history at the Indi- at the Arts Council of Indianapolis with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? What have you done previously for past races to celebrate that? And what are you doing differently this year? Okay, well, we have a great history with the Speedway, and it really started five years ago when they were celebrating the 100th running. And several of us on our team were part of the local organizing committee to find ways for the arts to be involved in that. Our friends over at the Speedway really wanted to make sure that the arts and all their forms were part of the celebration and they understood the value of having artists tell a story. And that's what artists do so well. You know, you can have your your marketing campaign and that's great. But yet, if you have an artist, a poet, a writer, a musician, a painter telling a story about who we are in our history and that connection to the people that live here, that just makes it more impactful, more special, more meaningful. And so that's really what we did. We, we came up with a lot of ideas of how the arts can celebrate the Indy 500 and that monumental 100th race. And one of them was welcome race fans. The concept there was that every May, you see the signs pop up everywhere. They're black and white. They may have a little checkered flag. They may have a, a, an ad for a beer company or something like that on them, but they're, they're pretty standard, pretty simple. And one of our ideas was, wow, imagine if we lived in a town where the entire city was blanketed with these welcome race fan signs, but they were colorful, they were interesting, they were connected to the people here and the history of the race, not just the black and white. Uh, There's a lot more to it than just the black and white. And so that's what we did. And, And the Speedway loved the idea and what it became was this idea to celebrate artists in the community, let them do whatever they do best, which is, so we've never prescribed them to, you know, you have to do, you have to do it about racing. It doesn't have to be about racing. It can be just your own work, but add that text of welcome race fans to make it a part of the project and part of the program. And then what we do in partnership with the Speedway is just get them all over the town, everywhere we can. So we print thousands of posters normally on a normal year, print thousands of posters that are free that we have we're giving out everywhere. The idea being that those signs are going to be at porch parties and 
in bar windows and restaurant windows and businesses all over town. And we want the really cool indie ones to be there, not just the, the, the simple black and white ones, although those are, those are fine, but uh, we tend to like the more uh, art, artful ones. And so we're trying to blanket the city with positive, welcoming messages for everyone and to let people know that Indy is not just known for that oval. We're known for, we have a lot of creative people. We have a great art scene here. And so in the past, we've had images blown up on the outside of the arts garden. We've had huge banners all over town. And so you really get a sense of, wow, it's May, we're here. It's, it's a totally different vibe. And I think when I moved here almost 20 years ago, that was what struck me first and has stuck with me is that idea of, wow, May is different. It's a different vibe. And so now with COVID-19 and recognizing that things are different and they have to be, and that's for good reason, we're all being safe. We still want to recognize that specialness that is the culture and the history of this race and welcoming fans, even though we're not going to be welcoming fans literally to our city, we will be virtually welcoming hundreds of thousands of fans, if not millions from all over the world. So we felt it was really important to stick to that idea of creating the artworks. We commissioned five new artists this year to create new work. And we're, we're doing it a little bit different in that we're not, we didn't print thousands of posters to give away because People aren't out at events to get those posters and they're not able to go and, and do that. So what we did, we're kind of combining two projects here. So we've got the Artist Relief Fund and we've got Welcome Race Fans. And so we've also got the fifth anniversary of the program. We've been doing it for five years. So we wanted to celebrate that. So we have gone back into the five years and there's probably about 50, I think 52 or 53 artworks that have been created through the program over those years. And so we are making all of those available as a fine art gicle print, which is a really high quality reproduction of the artwork on high quality paper that should be framed just like a piece of art. And so we're, we're selling those as a fundraiser. The artist will benefit, but the relief fund will benefit also, hopefully supporting the entire artist community. So we're, we're selling those G-Clay prints. We have images of, of those on our website, which is welcomeracefansindy.org. And it's, those we're selling for $150. And when you see them and when you see the scale of them, you'll realize, wow, that's a really good deal <laughs> to get a work of art for $150. We're also selling the posters, a limited run of those. So we have 75 each so you can also buy the, the poster, which I think is an incredible uh, piece of history and memorabilia, because when you look back, when we're looking back 10, 15 years, and this is the art historian and me talking now, but <laughs> when you look back at those posters and you see one that says August 23rd, 2020, People that weren't here and weren't a part of this, you know, younger, the younger generation will say, what is that about? Why was the Indy 500 run in August? That's so wild. 
and that's, you know, that's the history. That's where we are. That's the uniqueness of this. So I think they are collector's items for that and that they're, they're really cool art. So those are available for $10 each or 25 for the series of five of this 2020 series. Um, another cool way to see them is we're partnering with Downtown Indy on the Circle for their Shining a Light project. And so you will be able to see all five of the new 2020 artworks projected up onto the IPL building every night at 9.45 and 10.15, I think. And they're enormous. And it's just very cool to see them projected um, downtown on the circle like that. So we lost a few opportunities, but we gained a few to, to make some impact in the community, to get more awareness about the artist and the program. Yes, we are definitely in uh, an, uh, uh, well, that's great. Yeah. So I work for Bob and Tom by day and Tom has always said, you know, when we moved here, this town in May had checkered flags everywhere. And his, his vision is one day to have checkered flags everywhere like the old days. So thank you. That is a great way to celebrate it. There is another thing that the, the Arts Council of Indianapolis has funded, and my guest is Shannon Linker. She is the vice president of that organization, and that is the Black Lives Matter mural. And I know that it is somewhat controversial. So I wonder, what is your involvement? What is the, the goal there, and why is this important? Well, there, there are two big, important projects related to the Black Lives Matter movement um, that began in, uh, well, our involvement began in June with uh, the protest at downtown and uh, the painting of boards downtown, the boarded up windows. And so that was, that was really where our involvement mainly came in. We saw artists were painting uh, for free and not really being not, not being compensated and it wasn't an organized effort so we just kind of with some of our partners pattern and um do 317 came together and the cultural trail came together and said hey we can help organize we can find artists we can find some funding to help pay them so let us let us help let us be a, a support mechanism which is you know behind the scenes what we do and so we were able to find uh, a little bit of funding from Central Indiana Community Foundation to pay those artists. And so now we have a huge collection of those boards that are painted. Um, and we're now calling them the racial justice murals downtown. Um, so that is something that still has a life that we are working on having a longer life, which means we are planning to print those as banners that will be housed uh, hopefully in Central Library, where people can check those out and use those at community events and family events or, or whatever they want. So hopefully that those messages from those artists will have a longer life. Now, the, the project that I think you're referencing is the Black Lives Matter street mural that's on Indiana Avenue. And that really was more of a community-driven project. And the Arts Council from the beginning was supportive and a resource and um, some of the organizers are are close allies and uh, partners of ours anyway so we have we've really stayed behind the scenes to be a support role in that and we stand ready to support in any way they need to to keep it safe and keep it 
supported and and just awareness and understanding uh, for our audience of, of what it means and why it's important. And those artists that created it, we're trying to do our best to support the artists that were painted that painted on the street and share share their message and their vision as much as we can. All right. Well, I end every episode by asking the same question, and that is, as you go about your work on a daily basis, you know, you're in the weeds. The rest of us are in the weeds in our own stuff. What is the thing that you see on a daily basis that you just go, man, I wish everybody knew this about what I do or my industry that I'm in? What is that thing? Wow. Well, there there are so many because we have so many amazing artists that are working in town. And I, I feel so lucky that curating a gallery and working with artist services, working with artists and talking with artists every day, I get the privilege of being able to have those conversations with artists. And artists are incredible problem solvers and they are incredibly em- empathetic and they are giving and gracious and there's so many wonderful things. And the fact that I get to have these conversations and work with them on a daily basis, I just feel really privileged to be able to do that. And I think if everyone knew an artist and had those conversations with them, they would be enlightened on a daily basis. And I think the world would be a better place. All right, Shannon Linker, who's the Vice President of the Arts Council of Indianapolis. Their website is indiearts.org. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. If you think you've heard everything the libertarian world has to offer, you've got another thing coming. Enemy of My Enemy is a fast-paced podcast that brings hyper-intelligent and qualified libertarians from the left, right, and center together to debate and discuss current events and the hottest topics. Don't settle for slow-paced, predictable shows filled with the same philosophy you've already heard before. Tune into Enemy of My Enemy for something fresh and educational. I look forward to seeing you there.